following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Today's broadcast is pre-recorded. Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good would it be for a man if he gains the whole world, yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what he has done. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. It's very clear the judgment day of God is coming. Are you ready? That's not a quick, sentimental answer. It means, are you walking clean with God? Do you understand what it means to be a Christian? Today we want to walk through a story with you from the Argentine Revival. We want to walk through this story with you to outline in detail what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And what is expected of us as we follow Jesus Christ? This is not a casual walk. This is not a walk where you get to do whatever you choose to do and argue your position, for you will book no argument with Jesus. He is the judge. There will be no successful protest before his throne. We come, and based on what we have done, the judgment of God will be passed. That's what Jesus said. So regardless of what you have heard others say, what I just shared with you was the word of God. This is 
Matthew 16, verse 27, and I could show you countless other passages. Even the risen Lord in Revelation 21 and 22. But it says, For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what he has done. The wages of sin are death. Death. So we come today with a very special story of God's grace and mercy. A story that outlines for us what it means to be a Christian. I welcome to the studio with me today again my wife, Alexandra. Welcome. Welcome, and again, you're listening to Pilgrim's Progress. We're from the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. And we had a revival meeting last night. Yes. The attendance was small, but the presence of the Spirit of God was large. Yes, and we were very happy because somebody who we had prayed for last week uh, was healed, and so he shared his testimony of how he had been healed last night. The power of God is moving. Yes. And we praise him for that. Amen. And a man made a decision to follow Jesus. He came to the altar. We prayed. He's serious. Amen. Well, let's share this story. Do you want to get us started? Of course. This is from the same book we've been reading from. The title is The Flaming Flame, The Story of Continued Revival in Argentina by Edward Miller. In January of 1962, the flames of God's presence began to burn in the life of Irene, a Methodist school teacher of Buenos Aires. It was a beautiful summer afternoon when Irene suddenly appeared at Peniel, unannounced and unexpectedly, saying, The pastor father of one of my day school pupils told me that I could find God in Peniel, so I came. Can you show me the way? Although Irene had been raised in church and in a Christian home, she was now filled with doubts and questions God's love, his existence, and the reality of his presence. When she encountered strong communist propaganda during her teacher training days, she tried to refute those doctrines with rational arguments. Failing to convince her opponents, she seriously began to doubt her own position and question her own faith. Confusions, anxieties, uncertainties, and questions greatly troubled her, and she suffered with an illness that the doctors were unable to diagnose. One day, while attending a summer camp, she noticed some horses grazing on low hillsides. How wonderful it would be to see all this through the eyes of a true Christian, she thought, quite surprised to find herself thinking about God. From her heart there arose a silent yet intense plea, if there really is a God of the hills, the cattle, the people, please manifest yourself to me. I don't know where to find you, and I don't even know for certain if you exist or not, but if you do, please reveal yourself to me. To answer that prayer, God directed her footsteps to Peniel. What are you seeking? I asked when she commented that she had come to Peniel because she wanted to know God. Perhaps what she really wanted was to know God and his workings, I thought, or perhaps she needed salvation or the Holy Spirit baptism. As she continued talking, she insisted that what she truly wanted was to know if God existed, and if he did, she wanted to know him. In that case, I replied, the only road the narrow road that leads to the knowing of God is to take the Bible as the true word of God and accept it as your only guide in divine ways, without any argument whatsoever. You must obey that word in unquestioning and unconditional obedience, as God opens and reveals it to you. Secondly, you must recognize God as your absolute owner and renounce all your rights to order and control the different areas of your life. In other words, God requires a complete submission to him. Let's review these two points. Yes. They're vital. 
A man said to me yesterday, But don't I have rights? My answer was, No. You have the right to serve Jesus, or you have the right to serve the devil. You have no personal rights. Those were lost when Adam sinned, and this earth became a prison planet, due for destruction. So there are two points that he has made about what it means to begin to follow Jesus. And the first, if you're serious about following Jesus, you must take the scriptures, the Bible, the Holy Bible, you must take it for what it says and obey it implicitly. Without arguing about it with God. Without argument. Now, another man said to me, Pastor, is masturbation sin? And I said, well, let me ask you a question. Does a man ever masturbate without picturing a woman? Well, no. Well, doesn't the Bible call that fornication? He said, but I'm not hurting anybody. He said, no, you may not be hurting other people, but you are hurting your relationship with God because the Bible says you must worship in spirit and in truth. So absolute transparency before God no hiding. You've already confessed that a man doesn't masturbate without an image of a woman. And Jesus said, if you look on a woman and lust, you've already committed adultery with her. Well, he began to groan in his spirit. I could hear him groaning. And I said, you don't like what I'm saying to you, do you? Well, it's, it's such a little thing, Pastor. Does God care about little things like this? I said, oh, if it's a little thing, then why are you having a hard time with what I'm telling you? Why don't you just throw it away? Well, it's, it's my pleasure. I would add to that uh, masturbation is definitely going to have a negative impact on your respect of women and... It's just disgusting. I don't want to be with someone who's masturbating. Or with a woman who is. Mm-hmm. So, literally, please don't get pulled off on the issue of masturbation, but let's deal honestly. The Bible is very clear. Do not look at a woman in lust. It's also very clear. Don't call your brother a fool. So don't get in a fight with him and argue with him. Don't get in an ego battle with your brother. Humble your heart, be curious, and walk away clean. The scriptures are also very clear that if you call someone a fool, you're in danger of the, of the judgment. Don't lie, don't cheat, don't covet. The commands are all very clear. Don't grow angry in your heart. Jesus said, that's murder. Well, as you go through the scriptures, you find many very specific, concrete directions. And a man said to me, Pastor, the standard of God is way too high. I can't do what I'm supposed to do. I said, you're right, you can't. That's why the scriptures say you must be crucified with Christ. You must die. And you must come up a new man, a new creature in Jesus. And his requirements are then written on your heart so that when you're doing your will, you're doing God's will. Yes, so there's no longer a struggle. You're not always loving sin and trying hard not to do it, but you now hate sin. <laughs> Yes. And you don't want to do it, so you're truly free. You're truly free. Yes. 
It's a total change. It's a supernatural change. It's a wonderful gift. It's an incredible gift. It brings such joy and lightness and life into our hearts. The despair is gone. The discouragement's gone. Faith rises up. Belief is strong. We trust Jesus with everything because we've given him everything. It is a, it is a big relief not to have the burden of your own life to carry anymore. Yes. <laughs> I hope you heard what Alexandra just said. Say it again. I said it's a big relief not to have the burden of your own life to carry anymore. So the first principle that is being laid down is that you must take the scripture for what it says and implicitly obey it. If you do not obey the word of God, if you argue, you delay your salvation and you risk losing salvation for eternity. The second principle, read that for us again. The second principle is you must recognize God as your absolute owner and renounce all your rights to order and control the different areas of your life. In other words, God requires a complete submission to him. So if you want to be a Christian, your pride has to go. Your arrogance has to go. You have to lay aside everything that is of you and your will and accept the will of God in humility. And this is what we've been reading in these stories as you've been listening to this broadcast. You'll hear over and over the evangelists or the new converts, they talk about how they sought the Lord and they prayed to know what his will is. So they didn't just go off on their own and say, well, I think this is God's will. But they waited, they heard a specific promise, they heard a specific command about what God wanted to do, and then they did it. It literally means giving up all ownership of our life and of our family's life. God becomes our provision. And I've heard people say, but pastor, I have to take care of my children. I know, I was there, and it was a very sharp learning experience to discover that God wanted to be responsible for my children and he would bring to take care of them what he wanted me to have but I had to be willing to lay it all down and be obedient to Jesus and do what he told me to do well let's go on with this story so after careful consideration of these two points, Irene said spontaneously, Okay, Pastor, if this is the only road to know God, I have no other alternative but to take it. I will take it. Thus it was that with the words, Okay, Pastor, Irene took the first steps of submission to God in simple faith, without any feelings whatsoever, for her desire to find and to know God was very great. A few days later, she mentioned that on the following Friday, she would be leaving Peniel to return to her Buenos Aires home. I sighed and said, It's just like I told you. You really don't want to know God. My statement took her completely by surprise, so I continued, You said, Okay, Pastor, I will take the obedience road. And now you're telling me that you have decided to return home. Have you asked the one who is now your Lord and Master if he wants you to return to Buenos Aires now, or if you should stay on in Peniel? At that moment, the realization suddenly began to come to her of what it meant to have accepted Christ as her owner. It meant that she would no longer be able to do as she pleased, and she would be responsible before God for each step she took outside of the obeying of his orders. Amen. She would no longer belong to herself, and with each step she would have to surrender her will and accept his. With each step, her heart would have to say, Your will be done, and not mine. It would be as though Irene had now died, and Christ lived within her, with complete control over her whole being. 
she realized that it was a call to die, to recognize herself crucified with Christ and resurrected, with nothing more to do but to let Christ live his life through her. Irene's answer was decisive. Okay, pastor, I think the Lord wants me to stay on. That decision to remain on resulted in her losing her already scheduled paid vacation, canceling her contract for teaching the following year, leaving her home, father and mother, abandoning her plans for further university studies, and beginning preparations for the ministry. When Irene came upstairs to the first chapel service, she found that the worship and prayer services and Peniel were utterly different from any she had ever attended before. Some young people were praying with upraised hands. Others were worshiping softly. Still others were singing with loud voices and making melody to the Lord in music she didn't understand. Some were weeping, while others were rejoicing and praising. Everyone was praying at once, and no one was paying any attention to what his neighbor was doing. We don't worship this way in our Methodist church, she thought. My, what a lot of noise they make. In my church, we don't pray like that. Soon, Irene returned to our living room to ask for scriptural explanations for what each one was doing, and these explanations were not difficult to give. I will that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord. Then Irene searched the scriptures for herself. During the next chapel service, we noticed that she too had lifted her hands in the sanctuary. Why do the people clap their hands and pray aloud? she inquired. I gave the answer found in the Psalms. O oh, clap your hands, all ye people. Shout unto God with the voice of triumph. This scriptural explanation seemed to satisfy Irene and at the next church service she was joining in with the others in more outward expressions of worship. The young people weeping in prayer, she asked why they were doing that. My answer came from the book, Pour Out Your Hearts Before Him. Seeing that weeping was taught in God's word, she accepted it, and having taken the irrevocable decision to walk the discipleship road, she was willing to do whatever the scriptures taught. Okay, pastor, was her only answer. In the meantime, she was carefully observing the conduct of the young people outside the prayer times. She noticed that there was something different about them, something that they had which she knew she did not yet have. When differences arose between the young people, they immediately repented and made things right with their companions. When they were reprimanded for something they had done, they humbled themselves and made amends and then began to sing and praise once again. Having felt always that the love of God should be manifested among his people, she sought for this manifestation of love among the young people and found it. One day, Irene heard the young people praying for more of the presence of the Lord in their lives, and she wondered, why do they pray for more of his presence when they already have more of it than I do in my life? Even more diligently, she continued to seek the Lord and wait expectantly before him in prayer and searching of his word. One night, a few weeks after Irene's arrival, the girls decided to have a prayer meeting on their own without remembering to turn on the dorm lights. Soon, everyone was praying out loud and Irene, unable to pray while others were making so much noise, simply decided to follow the prayer of the girl in the bed next to hers. Just then, Elvira came over and knelt beside her, and slipping her arm around her shoulder said, I love you. To Irene, it was the voice of God speaking to her, the God that had seemed so very far away and inaccessible. God was telling her that he loved her. This word produced in her heart what only the voice of God can produce a melting at his feet, and an awakening of an even more fervent thirst. Unemotional Irene found herself weeping. Seeing her crying, the other girls promptly decided that she must be helped to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, of which Irene knew little. 
So they all rushed over and began to pray for her. Grabbing and shaking her, they counseled, Say hallelujah, raise your hands, praise the Lord, do this, do that. And their enthusiasm to help her receive, each one offered a different suggestion, but their variety of ideas only served to confuse her further. For wasn't the baptism of the Holy Spirit only for the days of the apostles? And if by any stretch of the imagination it should be for today, didn't one receive it when one received salvation? However, because her mind was filled with a maze of anti-baptism doctrines, she wasn't the most likely candidate to receive. Suddenly, a girl sitting on the foot of her bed screamed out as she felt the presence of the Lord. Surely we've made a mistake, thought the girls. We're praying for the wrong one, then promptly plunged over to pray for the other girl. When my wife finally made it upstairs to find out the cause of all the rumpus and the darkness of the dorm, she found a group of girls enthusiastically praying, and the new Methodist girl sitting on her bed, terrified and perplexed and wondering just what was happening. After another long counseling session, and many hours of searching through the book of Acts, to Irene came the knowledge of what the next step must be, so that her communion with the Lord might grow. She needed to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. No longer did any formerly held doctrines confuse her, because she found the new experience taught in the Word. A quiet inner voice said, You don't have it yet, but I want to give it to you. Shortly afterwards, as a visiting Baptist brother told his experience of receiving the Holy Spirit, Irene realized that she was afraid to receive it for herself, for she erroneously thought that God would take hold of her body and make her run or jump or do something else equally scandalous. Didn't God require one to yield one's body to him? Who knows, then, what he might do with it? In spite of all her premonitions of making a public scene, Irene carefully tried to interpret what the Lord wanted her to do in the service that night, be it to lift her arms, kneel, praise, or pray. It didn't really matter to her what others were thinking. The most important thing to her was to be in obedience to the Lord, her owner. Her mind, now filled with the techniques of how to receive, hindered her from relaxing in faith so that God could fill her. When the ministers prayed for those desiring to receive, Spanish-speaking Irene felt a strange, burning warmth and found herself pronouncing some words which sounded exactly like English words. But having studied a little English in secondary school, she promptly concluded that she was speaking words she had already learned, and immediately quit talking, convinced that her subconscious was playing bad tricks on her. So she continued to seek, thinking that nothing at all had happened. When the Lord's Supper was served the following Sunday, Irene came, for the first time that week, not even seeking for the baptism. Sensing no indication from the Lord to stand, lift her hands, or kneel, she felt so relaxed. Such a sweet rest followed the battle of the past weeks when she had sought so diligently to be filled. Sitting quietly in her chair, she began to praise the Lord in such a quiet voice that not even the person sitting next to her could hear it. As she partook of the Lord's cup, she sensed the same strange warmth. Thanking the Lord for the cup, she again quietly began to pronounce words in English, but this time she didn't discard the speaking as something of her own mind. She just let it continue to flow through her. Seconds later, it was no longer English words that she was pronouncing, but, compa but compound separated syllables. Completely conscious of what she was saying, she didn't feel the least emotion. It seemed as though she were observing herself from the outside. As soon as the meeting finished, Irene rushed to her room, and throwing herself on her bed, she continued to articulate syllables, like someone observing something happening outside of himself. Later, these were no more syllables, but words in another language that she had never heard before. Now, there was no doubt in her mind that she had actually received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. All happened in such a different way from what she had expected, without any scandal, 
without yelling, without jumping, and even without emotions. It wasn't as though her tongue were being handled by some strange outside force, as she had thought it would be. She could just surrender her vocal organs and begin to talk in that unknown language, and could stop speaking whenever she wanted to. How beautiful it was, and how utterly different from what she had anticipated. Irene's spontaneous, okay, pastor, when I taught her what the Lord required of her in his word, her wholehearted willingness to obey his commands in cold obedience, regardless of any feelings she might or might not have, her constancy in continuing on and not turning back once a decision was made, caused her to make swift progress on the road that leads to knowing God. Before taking an important decision, when a violent battle raged inside her heart between her will and the Lord's will, she found that in the measure that she ordered each part of her being to cease all resistance to the will of God, at the same moment confessing his will, her own will disappeared, and only God's will filled all her being. He worked in her both the desire and the fulfilling in such a way that she ended up doing his will because it then coincided with hers. There was then no difference between her will and his will. The two wills were now one. As she sought the Lord and in faith obeyed his demands as taught in the Holy Scriptures as he brought them to her, she found that all her tensions began to loosen. The tranquility and inner quietness that she so badly needed began to fill her heart. She found the Bible now filled with meaning and a real pleasure to read. For the first time in all her church-going life, she listened to the messages without having to force herself to concentrate or pay attention. It seemed as though torrents of light had entered her darkened understanding, and the scriptures were now clear and plain. All the physical symptoms of her sickness disappeared, for the Lord had healed her. Amen. As Irene enjoyed the sweet communion of obedience, the peace and joy of the Lord filled her heart. She realized that God had an eternal purpose for her life, which she would not have to be wasted in fulfilling her own desires and purposes. It was true. One could learn to walk with the Lord. When Irene's parents came to visit to find out what had happened to make her decide to renounce everything and continue on at Peniel, a place unknown to them, they found their daughter so full of faith and joy that they said nothing, for they were God-fearing Methodist parents, and although they understood nothing of what Irene was experiencing, they respected the word of God in her heart and offered no opposition whatsoever to her staying on as a student. During our regular March conference held two months after Irene's arrival at Pinal, the Lord began to do a work of cleansing in the hearts of his people. Students, visitors, and pastors were broken as they came into a realization of the holiness of God. One after another confessed his faults, and weeping in contrition, requested others to pray for him. Some were convicted of sins, seemingly very small according to the man's standard, but manifesting even more how zealous God is for his holiness. Several meetings went by, and although Irene recognized that this time of brokenness and confession was of God, she nevertheless felt like an observer rather than a participant. Somehow the Holy Spirit didn't lead her to repentance. It seemed as though something in her was asleep and needed to be awakened by the Lord in order for her to experience this brokenness and conviction. When I suggested that she give her personal testimony in one of the next services, to her it was another cold obedience which the Lord required of her. To give a personal testimony during those meetings of repentance seemed to her natural mind to be completely out of place. 
but having learned that as she took tiny steps in obedience toward him, he took giant steps in drawing near to her. She obeyed and gave a full testimony of God's dealings in her heart. I want to stop a moment. She's articulated something very precious. And that is, she has learned that when she's willing to take a tiny step of obedience toward God, God takes a giant step toward her. We've both experienced that. Absolutely. When the Lord told me to turn off my television, it was my drug of choice. Now, this has been 25 years ago. I turned the television off. And God came flooding into my heart in such power and such presence. I never turned it on again. In fact, I hauled it out and put it in the trash. A new Sony large screen, $1,000 at that time. It seemed like a huge step to me, but it was really a very small step compared to what God did next as he came in mighty power and delivered me. I'm wondering today, has God called you to take some steps toward him? And are you willing to do that? I also wonder if, like Irene, any of you listening are saying, I wonder whether God even exists. If so, would you please call? The number is 877-534-0780. That's 877-534-0780. And we'll be happy to talk with you and to pray with you I also wonder if some of you listening, do you sense a part of your soul that's just asleep, that's dead, and you need it to be brought to life so that you can truly be broken before Jesus? My guess is some of you have not wept before the Lord for many years, if ever, because there's a hard encasement in your heart. Could be a around pain, anguish, a loss, broken dreams. I don't know what it is. But you're welcome to call. Well, let's continue. After Irene's obedience to give her testimony, the Holy Spirit entered the area that had seemed to be asleep and began to convict her, just as he did the others. In the days that followed, the Lord revealed to her her unworthy motives and showed her that confession leads to cleansing. So Irene would go to the meetings willing to confess. What peace and joy and cleanness, forgiveness and communion she experienced as she opened her heart to God and to others. Wait a minute. What do you think, Alexandra, about those who hold themselves in and will not confess publicly. They say, this is private. You're not going to get anywhere with God if that's your approach. That's a, a dead stand against God. Yes. And going back to this idea of the just obeying what the scriptures say, the scriptures often call both in the Old and in the New Testament for public repentance that includes weeping and verbal confession of sin. And this isn't just to, this isn't like just for the sake of it, but it's because, you know, Jesus is the light. And so when we come to the light, we're not hiding anymore. Everything is clear. And it's also an opportunity for the, the others in the church to pray for you. And if we refuse to confess... Because we say, oh, I can't, this is private. That's called pride. Yes. And that pride has to be broken. It is very humbling. It, you definitely feel humiliated 
to confess your sin publicly, but I can testify that you do definitely feel very clean and very close to Jesus afterwards. And then if you don't go back into that sin, you remain that way. Yes. When the conference ended, she was talking with some of the students and found herself saying, for the first time in my life, I am really and completely happy. Stopping a moment to meditate on what she had just said and taking an inward look, she found that this was absolutely true. There were now no tensions, no fears, no doubts, no uncertainties. There was no weight of remorse for unconfessed and unforgiven sins. There was only peace and a heart full of joy in his glory. The pathway of implicit, simple obedience to the living word of the Lord, with feelings or without them, had brought Irene into an intimate relationship with God. She was beginning to know him. Each step she took in obedience to God as her complete owner and master, and each obedience to his word as he revealed it to her, had brought her closer to him. She was really beginning to know him, his voice, and his word. Today, Irene and her missionary husband, Paul, are occupying a position of authority and spiritual leadership as directors of a Bible institute and church in Buenos Aires. The first obedience, which was subsequently, subsequently followed by many others, led Irene into the fullness of God's will for her life and ministry. You know, this story of Irene is so vital and so important because many today, and you may be one of those, has not really made any real progress with Jesus. You can sing and dance and shout and spit. You can say all the religious words, but down in your heart, there's fear, there's tension, there's a lack of forgiveness. There's a lack of the presence of God. You know, I wonder, do you want that to change? What is it that you really want? Do you want Jesus? Do you want to be like him? Do you want to be filled with his presence? then these two principles that we began with today must be worked out in your heart. Yes, and just by way of review, those two principles, and you have to do them together. They don't work if you just do one or the other. The two principles are that you give yourself completely to Jesus so he owns you. You no longer make independent decisions. And the second one is that you will obey every word of God as you find it in the scriptures and you won't argue about it. And I wanted to add, it's I've met a number of Christians who have this feeling of torment because, or of conflict because they constantly feel like they are in sin or they're not doing what God requires them to do or they're in conflict with their spouse. It could be any number of things. But I just wanted to say that feeling is not normal. That's not the normal Christian feeling. You should not feel condemned. You should not feel burdened by your sin. And as we've just read in the story today, the way out of that is through confession, repentance, and obedience to God. It's the way of humility. Yes. Where we stop pretending that we're the paragon of virtue and we begin to openly confess and repent and then fellowship begins to happen. Yes. It's hard to be in fellowship with perfect quote-unquote people who are made of glass who will shatter if they begin to really talk about the true need for confession. The Christian walk is real, and God is real, and He loves you, 
and he wants to call you out of the darkness out of the despair he wants to provide for you but it's very hard for God to step in if not impossible by his rules as long as you maintain your hard-edged position and you hunker down with positive thinking and say okay if it's going to be it's up to me no it's not up to you it is not up to you it's up to God so right now I'm crying out to God for revival in Washington DC and I'm saying to the Lord God of heaven where is the God of Elijah where is the power of Elijah and I'm going to stand on his promises I'm going to trust in his provision and I'm going to watch for his revival for the power of this God of Elijah is going to be demonstrated in amazing ways in Washington DC now we're not sitting behind this mic talking about great things that we have done we have not done anything great but Jesus is in the process of doing some amazing things in people's lives so we wait on the Lord and we trust in him our phone number again and we have time for maybe one quick call 877-534-0780 if you would like to confess sin we'd like to pray for you or if you have a sense of coldness and emptiness in your heart or if you're controlled by fear depression anxiety we'd be happy to pray with you but you're going to have to be very bold and humble your heart and call 877-534-0780 Mr. Producer how much time do we have left? Is anyone calling? Well, let's play that song that we started this broadcast with. There's a great day coming right now.
ready for that judgment day. Do you truly want and do you truly believe in Jesus Christ? And are you willing to lay your life down for him? You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. We have just a couple minutes left in this broadcast. If you'd like to partner with us in helping make this broadcast go out over Washington, D.C., we'd like to hear from you. You can write to us at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. And you can also visit our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. There you can listen to this broadcast again. You can give online. And we also invite you to go to our sister webpage, revivalnow.church, which has information about the revival meetings. And the next revival meeting will be this coming Monday night. At 7.30 p.m. And we invite you to come. Now, is it convenient? Does it matter? Do you want Jesus? Do you want healing, physical, emotional, and spiritual healing and revival? Yes, we will be praying for if you need healing and you want to come to this meeting, we will pray for you. And we will pray if you come for salvation. Yes. Or for victory over sin. Yes. We will be praying. I was surprised last night. A number of people after the service came to me and told me of all their health problems. And I said, why didn't you come forward during the time of prayer? They said, oh, I I don't want to come forward in front of everybody. Or another person said, well, God can heal me anytime. I don't have to come forward. Those attitudes will not get you healed. Do not be one of those people. That's pride. Yes. And it's arrogance before God. It is. Revival literally means we choose to obey God. We choose to be owned by Jesus Christ. Have you made that choice? We also invite you to come this coming Sunday and fellowship with the National Prayer Chapel. We also are at the All Saints Anglican Church. And that address is 14851 Gideon Drive, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22192. And again, you can find all this information on our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com, and you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Well, we're out of time for today. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley. I'm Alexandra Greenley. We love you. We trust you in Jesus' hands to revive and restore you and cause you to walk clean in him. God bless you. We'll God talk to you, you soon. Was able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of God.